Now, a lot of you guys were clapping for like being glad that you weren't 28 inches of snow. Now, how many of you miss kind of just being snowed in like that if you ever lived out, out east? I kind of am a little bit jealous, at least for one day, right? We live here in Phoenix, though, and it's the nice thing is that we can get to the snow when we want to, and then we can leave it again, right? And this past week, uh, my wife and I took our kids out of school. We let them play hooky for a couple days. That's what happens when you're a pastor and you gotta be around on Sundays, right? We went up to uh, the high country, we went up to Sholo area, and we had a couple days away, and it was just a nice weekend to a couple days to go sledding, and then we also went uh, skiing at, at Sunrise Ski Park. Now, here's the thing. I, I look forward to this time away and to getting into the snow, but the one thing that I dread about a ski trip with my family is the actual part of getting from the van to the ski hill with a family of six, okay? You know how many skis that is? That is 12 skis, okay? 12 heavy, awkward skis that go all over. That's ski poles. That's 12 pairs of boots. That's 12 pairs of, or not pairs, 12. That's a lot. I'm glad it's not that big. But it's 12 of everything, right? Boots, gloves, scarves. I mean, you're, and, and so we have to like go, how do we get from the van to the ski hill? And so we're just lugging things around. We've got these big Ikea bags where we drop everything in. And it's just crazy. And then finally, we can get them to the ski hill. And it's like, Ah, you know, and then we had a good time. And so it's a fun time with the family, but many times I just feel like a pack mule, and you feel like you're just there with your kids and just trying to make this great experience. Now contrast that to the other way that my wife and I like to vacation without our kids. It's called a cruise, right? Anyone ever go on a cruise? And uh, talk about a time where you can just be pampered. And now you're the center of attention, the center of the world. You come into your room, you have an attendant that's waiting on you, right, for your room. And then they have these towels, and they make little towel animals, and they, they put them on your bed, and then there's like a monkey hanging from the top. Ever see those, right? And, uh, and then you come to your, like you leave your room a mess in the morning, and you come back, and there's like a little mint on your bed. I'm like, I don't, that never happens in my house. I don't, I don't understand that. I like it. Uh, and then you come to dinner, right? And you go to the, the, the nice dinner time. And, and um, you know, when you're there, they're all waiting on you, hand and foot. And then the, the waiter comes, right? And he's got this towel and, and he comes up. And we, on our first cruise, we had this Italian head, uh, head waiter. And whenever we'd order, he'd always say the same thing. And it made you feel really good. We'd order something and say, what would you like to have, sir? And I'd say, um, I'll have the lobster. You know, and you have to even feel a little more sophisticated when you say, I'll have the lobster. And he always say, Excellent choice, right? No matter what you order, it was excellent choice. Um, I'll have the filet mignon. Excellent choice, right? I mean, no matter what you said, it was excellent choice. My wife and I, we started still to this day sometimes, we'll pick something off a menu and be like, excellent choice, right? It just made you feel good, and, and it just made you feel like you're important, and, and the decisions you're making are so good, and, 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 and we love to be served in that way. And I think about these two contrasts, like, you know, just pack meal for my kids and, and being kind of the center of attention and everyone serving me. And I go, man, what's better to, to, to be served or to serve? <laughs> You're like, oh, well, I'm in church. Can I be honest? Right? Right? Uh-huh. What's better, right? I mean, we love to be served. I love that idea, and I love everything revolving around me, and it just feels good, and, and boy, I can just relax and enjoy life. But we've been talking in the series, Mosaic, about being a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's not just about us at the center and everything revolving around me, but how can I be part of something bigger? And it's that image of a mosaic, a beautiful picture that is made up of lots and lots of little tiles, hundreds, perhaps even thousands, depending on the kind of mosaics that you've seen. Each little piece in and of itself connecting with others to create something even more beautiful than the piece itself. 
And we talked about how we don't want to spend our lives just building our own little mosaic, but we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We've been looking at a key verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. We're God's mosaic. We're that masterpiece that he's putting together. He says, For he created us anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. And so you think about that, and, and, and we imagine this as us. And we're part of God's masterpiece, but he created us new in Christ Jesus to do some very important things. He planned for you to do, and our job is to figure out what is it, God, that you want us to do so that we can help complete this mosaic, this masterpiece that you are creating through us. How can we be part of something bigger than ourselves? And that's what we've been looking at through the series. And what is this mosaic? And we've talked about it as the kingdom mosaic. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, and we see it all throughout Scripture, throughout history. What is this mosaic? What does that look like? And it's about God's plan to redeem, to restore, to renew, to bring hope, to bring life, to bring joy, to bring contentment, to bring healing. This is God's plan for us. And he's asking us to be part of helping build that kingdom in this world, to join with others. And the question again becomes, are we building our own kingdoms or are we building God's kingdom? Last week, we talked about the church, that God gave a special place to the church as the place where we would begin to attach ourselves to a family, to a community together to help bring glimpses of that kingdom to the world around us. That when people would see the way the church is and acts and breathes, that they would get to see little pictures of what it can be like in the kingdom of God that is so different from the world that maybe we experience all around us. We talked about the mission that we have as McDowell Mountain Community Church, a mission given to all churches, but what does it look like for us to go and to make disciples, to help bring that kingdom to other people? And so we've been talking about this in a big picture way. What does it look like? For the next half of the series now, the next couple of weeks, I want to start focusing in on this tile. I want to start focusing in on you and on me and saying, what is my place in that kingdom mosaic? How do I fit into that bigger picture? What is the goal? What's the purpose? How do I define success, if we put it into our modern day, of how do I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Now, when we think about our world and we think about uh, society at large in the different spheres that we're in, we kind of understand what success looks like. So we kind of know what am I supposed to be doing to get to where I need to go. So if you're, if you're in business, you think, okay, I got to get to the top of the offices, right? I got to have the corner office. I got to get to that CEO spot or as close as I can. And, and we work our way up the corporate ladder as part of our goal. That's, that's the trajectory that, that we want to try to move into. If it's Wall Street, it's about the portfolio you have and the number of investments and the paycheck you bring home. If you're in the arena of sports, success is being the MVP or the team captain, bringing home the ring, the championship. It's all about that. If you're in Hollywood, you can have the Oscar, if you can have the nomination, if you can get the accolades, then it's meaningful. Then you've somehow, you have arrived. And now as we see in our political sphere and in the news, everyone jockeying for position in politics, where do they want to get as close to the Oval Office as possible, right? The center of power. And if you're not present, then you at least want to hang on to those coattails and get as much and as close as you can because there's power there. And so we understand in our world, that's what these trajectories are. But what is it to be in the kingdom of God? 
If we are followers of Christ, those of us here that are seeking to be that, that are that, or maybe as you're curious and wondering, what does that look like? How do I know that I'm doing and being what I need to be in the kingdom of God? What does that look like? And it's a hard message. It's maybe a difficult and challenging message, but that's what I want to talk about today. So let's pray, and let's ask God to open our eyes to hear how we can connect our peace to the kingdom mosaic that God is doing. Heavenly Father, thank you for a space like this, a sacred space where we block out distractions, where we focus in on you and your word and what you want to say to us as individuals and together as a church. Father, would we dial in, help us understand what is true as we sang earlier. Speak into our hearts and God, give us a vision for our lives and for our church that's bigger than ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in Matthew chapter 20, there's a a story of uh, Jesus and his disciples together. And actually, one of the, uh, there's two disciples that were brothers, and their mom is involved in this story, which is kind of fun. And here's a mom who must be thinking, two of my, two of my sons, two of the 12 are Jesus's disciples. But then she starts talking with them and with the other disciples about um, their role and their position in God's kingdom. And she's vying to say, you know, my two sons, they got to be at the left and right hand of Jesus, James and John. They're going to be in the positions of honor which in, the king, in, in that world, in that understanding of kings, whoever was on your left and on your right, these were the positions of greatness and honor. And she was saying, these are going to be my sons. And then the other disciples started hearing about this, and they're starting, no, 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 no. And they start fighting and arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You think about, well, what does greatness look like in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus kind of gets wind of what's happening. He knows what's, what they're talking about. And he begins to talk to them about what greatness looks like. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 20 beginning verse 25 and 26. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. A gasp from the children. This message is not easy to understand. It is difficult. (laughs) I love it. But among you, it must be different, right? He's saying in the world, we know what success looks like and how you get ahead and you got to fight your way to the top and there's only room for one and there's a limited, you know, supply. There's scarcity. I got to get mine. Others don't get theirs. Among you, it must be different. Whoever wants to become first, must become the servant. Whoever wants to be a leader, you got to be the slave. You hear this and you think, really? Servant and slave? Let's just face it, that sucks. <laughs> Who wants that? I want to be served. I want to have people waiting on me. And yet Jesus is saying, among you, it's got to be different. Because when we think about serving, when we think about giving, when we think about where we need to be, we think that's the beginning point. That's the bottom of the barrel. We need to move our way up. And if you're calling me to serve or or being challenged to serve, we have to think, that costs me something. That takes time. That takes money. It takes energy. I don't have any of that in my life. I got to get ahead. I got to do what's what's right for me and my family. And if I do all those things, I don't get any compensation. I don't get anything in return. And so many of us don't ever take this chance. We don't ever buy what Jesus is saying. And we think, no, 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 we're going to be the same as everybody else. But Jesus is saying, among you, it must be different. Any of you uh, Downton Abbey fans? Come on, fess up. Downton Abbey, men, any men out there with me? Come on, men. 
Downton Abbey, I, I know I might lose my man card here, but my wife got me into Downton Abbey, and I enjoy the show. A very good show, actually. And it takes place, if you're not familiar, it's a PBS show. It takes place in the early 1900s in a grand era and, a, and where you just have the aristocratic family, the Crawley family in England, who has this estate called Downton. And, and they are just living in, in the lap of luxury and have all their needs met and have great wealth. And, and serving them and attending to their every need is the servant staff. There's the, there's the chief butler, Mr. Carson, right? And then you've got, you've got Mrs. Hughes, who's the, 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 uh, the head maid, and you've got all the different staff right on through from, from footmen and all these things I didn't even know about until I started watching the show. But it's this beautiful interchange of two different worlds, and yet how they interact and how they serve one another, the servants doing everything they can for the Crawley family. And I think, man, which, which floor would I rather live in? Which floor would you rather live in? Above ground or below ground? You know, we think, man, I'd maybe rather live in the, as the Crawley family. But what I love about the show is the respect that's shown to those that are the servants and the honor that's given to them and the way that they feel honor and how they serve and how they are treated. And there's this symbiotic, beautiful relationship that takes place. But sometimes I think we think about serving, we go, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. I want to kind of move to a place in my life where I am the one that gets served. But here's the reality that soon begins to sink in when we start focusing at ourselves at the center is that true fulfillment will never come through self-gratification. True fulfillment will never come through self-gratification. It will forever leave us empty and isolated. It doesn't allow us to have a part in the bigger mosaic of what God is doing. It doesn't connect us to what's going on because we're busy building our own kingdoms, kingdoms that won't last. After Jesus had this discussion with the disciples and telling them, look, you're arguing over who's gonna be left and right. What's well, gonna be different among you? As a matter of fact, if you wanna get to the places of honor, you're gonna become servant or slave. You're gonna put others first. But he doesn't just give it to them as a mandate and say, this is what you should do. You should serve. Now go get me some water, boy. <laughs> the very next verse, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, right? To serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who's the Son of Man? It's Jesus. It's God eternal, the Savior, the Lord. Jesus Christ says, even, even I came not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life away for everyone else. And Jesus continued to model that. There's a scene towards the end of Jesus's life. He's with his disciples. He's spent several years with them now, three years, teaching them and training them. And I think why the disciples are so great for us as characters in, in the Bible is we can relate to them, I hope. They just don't get it many times and they struggle and they mess up. And, and Jesus is thinking like, all right, the time of my end is very near. What are the things that I need them to understand? As a matter of fact, Jesus was going to be crucified just a couple of days later, and he knew this. So he called them together for a meal, the Last Supper, as we understand it and have come to call it. They didn't know it was going to be the Last Supper. And they came together and, uh, and, and gathered for this meal. Now, we have this image of the Last Supper from Da Vinci, right? They're seated around this long wooden table, and they all sit on the one side of the table. That's kind of odd. I don't really understand that, if that's really how it happened. Actually, I don't think it's even a great representation after all, because typically meals in that culture would be seated at a low table, and you'd be reclined on the floor. 
And you'd be sitting around in, in, that, in that kind of shape. And so the disciples would gather and they came to that room. And, and, and we don't have all the details, but I'm picturing that they showed up that night at this room and there was a table that was set on the floor and, and, and seating all around it. And the first disciple showed up and he'd been walking there. It's been dusty and a dry day as it was in the Middle East. And he got to the door fully expecting that servant that was always there to wash his feet. And he got to the door and there was nobody there. Where's that servant? He's like, no servant. So he goes and he sits down at the table and probably picked out the best seat in the table. Then the next uh, person, then a disciple comes in and he comes in, he goes, where's the servant to wash my feet? He's thinking to himself, but then he sees the other disciple already seated there. He's like, I'm not gonna do it. And he goes and sits down. And one by one, let's say they came, maybe a couple of them at a time, eventually they all sit around the table and they're seated there and then Jesus arrives. Jesus comes and he sits down with them. And then he thinks, And we read in scripture, he says he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. He wanted to show them what this is about. And he's probably thinking, guys, you just don't get it. But he loves them and he wants to show them his love. And so he gets up from the table and he walks over to that door where there was this bowl. And he goes and he bends down and he grabs the bowl and he grabs the towel, right? Takes the bowl over and he walks over to his disciples. I mean, this job left for the low of the low, that was the entry-level job, right? To wash the dirty, dusty, smelly feet of his disciples. And he comes up to the disciples and he gets down and he begins to just wash them. Pours water over them, rubs them down, and then he dries them off. He goes from one to the other. And then he comes to Peter and Peter says, no, 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 Lord, you can't wash me. You're the Lord, you're the son of God. You're my master, you can't wash my feet. I'm supposed to wash your feet. And he says, no. And he washes his feet. And then he finishes washing all of their feet. He takes the towel, probably sets it down. And then it says this in, verse, in John chapter 13, verses 15 and 17. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. You know these things. Now do them. That is the path of blessing. Jesus is saying to us, look, grab your towel. He said to the disciples, grab your towel. Now go and do this to other people. Go and wash their feet. Was he being serious? Did he literally mean to wash feet? Now, I grew up in a tradition that washed feet as a symbolic representation of what Jesus asked to do here. Now, it'd be kind of crazy if you just went up to somebody, right, at the local restaurant and go, hey, can I wash your feet? I don't think Jesus was necessarily being literal here. But what he was saying is, look, as you have opportunity to serve, serve. Now, as I said, I grew up in a tradition where once or twice a year around Good Friday, we would do a foot washing. And I remember as a kid, that was kind of, it's kind of weird. You know why it was weird? Because it's weird. <laughs> it's weird to wash somebody else's feet. That's why. And I remember as a kid, they would, the men would go into one room and the women would go into another. And, uh, and then they would sing hymns would sing songs or choruses or whatever. And then the men would take off their shoes and then they would take off their socks. Yeah, you know where this is, right? It's not pretty. It's not pretty. And what I realized is that the older you get, the uglier your feet get. You know, I was a kid. I was like, dang, there's some ugly feet. And these old men, uh, look at those toenails. Um, I'm getting there myself. It's just, you know, it's part of life. But, but you know, so then, then they would get the water and they would, they would um, you know, bring it out and they'd put it in front, you know, in front of somebody's feet. And then it was just kind of gross. They'd get down and they'd start washing the feet and touching someone else's feet. And I was like, oh, man. But you know what happens after about two or three people being, feet being washed? There's little floaties. <laughs> Toe jam. 
Yeah. Right. Is that humbling? To go and to wash someone else's feet and to touch their feet that have been in shoes all day in those socks and the men would grab their feet and they would wash them and they would dry the towels and then they'd get up and there'd just be this big man hug, this brotherly hug. You don't see that in the world today. It's not what men do. It's not what women do. But Jesus said, among you, it must be different. And he modeled this beautiful thing. Be servants to one another. Wash each other's feet. He says, that is the path of blessing. That is the way we are called to do. Jesus modeled for us. He didn't just say, do it. He did it himself as the son of God, the creator of the universe. Think about that, getting down and cleaning his disciples' feet. If he can do it, surely we can do it too. And why should we do it? Because it's the path to blessing. Now, how do we serve? What does that look like? I want to talk a little bit about the difference between serving and volunteering. We have this great word that we use all the time, volunteering, and it's a, it's a lifted up word. It's great when we volunteer, but it's not the same as serving. Jesus did not say anywhere in scripture, he did not say, go and volunteer, <laughs> right? That the greatest among you will be a volunteer. He said, the greatest among you will be a servant. The greatest among you will be a slave, Whoa. <laughs> well, the word in the Greek for, for servant is diakonos. Diakonos. What does that sound like? Deacon. The deacon. A deacon is meant to serve. And deacon, actually, that word actually meant to kick up dust, like somebody running, like an errand boy running to do something for someone else. That's a deacon coming to serve and called leaders in the church are, are still called deacons. And the other word is doulos, which is slave. To be a slave, to really be at the mercy of another, to make your purpose the primary purpose for someone else. And Paul uses these two words, diakonos and doulos, which is servant and slave, to describe himself. I, Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, right, who became this first ardent follower of Jesus that started the church, he said, I, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, Paul, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. My life in service and dedication to the cause of Christ, to something bigger, to be part of this kingdom mosaic. And sometimes I think we have boiled it down to, to let's volunteer for a few hours. Again, volunteering is good, and this church is run by very important volunteers that are giving time, but volunteering is a subset of serving. See, when I'm a volunteer, I can turn that on and I can turn it off. It's often connected to something I do, and when I'm not doing it, I'm not a volunteer. See, I'm a, I coach soccer for a lot of years for, for my kids, and I volunteer. And so when I, when I volunteer, I have a set of time on, uh, on one night a week for, for practice, and then I have another time set aside when I'm the coach on Saturday, but then I'm not the coach throughout the week. I volunteer a set amount of time, and I do good things there, and I get to invest in kids and, and, uh, and do those things. But if my primary identity is volunteer, it's something I give, and then I turn off. We are called to be servants. Servants supersedes all that. Servancy isn't just something we do. It's who we are. A volunteer is something we do some, some of the time. A servant is who we are all of the time. It's our new nature. When, we, when Scripture says we are created anew in Christ Jesus, we are created anew to become servants. That he gives us the strength and the joy and the love to put our life at his service and at the service of others. And there's a richness in that when we understand serving. 
And out of our serving, we volunteer and we get involved in different ways. But serving is a lifestyle that extends beyond what we do. Now, as a kid, I didn't really know the difference between serving and volunteering. I didn't volunteer. I was voluntold. You guys, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Anyone ever been voluntold before? Do we have any vol- <laughs> volunteers? Yeah, you. As a kid, I didn't know the difference. We came early to church. We set up chairs. We took them down. We folded the worship folders and whatever. It just was a part of what we did. And I thank my parents for just saying and teaching us the way of serving. It's just what you do. It's a way of life. You see a need, and you go and meet it. Now, I wish they would say it just gets easy. It does get easier at some times because it comes a way of life, but I find myself too. You slip back into those modes where I just want to be served, and I want others to do things for me. But when we serve out of that humility, it really is the path of blessing, as Jesus says. Now, when, when I graduated seminary, and I went through the course of study. And, uh, and when I finished, before we had our official graduation ceremony, we had a separate cer- ceremony in the chapel for the graduates. And it was a ceremony where the, st- the, the faculty gave each of us a towel. And as a matter of fact, it was this very towel that I've been using this morning. And uh, on the towel are these initials, SOT, School of Theology. And it was a reminder for us that we are to be foot washers, that we are to be servants, that we aren't going out to be served, but to serve others. And maybe you've seen this in my office. I kind of roll it up a little bit and have it on my bookshelf. It's been in my office for years. It's so easy to forget that we are here to serve. And it's so easy to get consumed by what's happening in our culture and what the media tells us and what advertising tells us. It's all about you. You're at the center. You're the most important. Everyone ought to be at your beck and call. And then the silent voice of Jesus in the scripture reminds us is that's not the path to blessing. Life isn't found there. Watch what happens when you wash someone else's feet, maybe literally, figuratively as well. What can happen when we serve? Now, there's a man named Bill when he was in his 20s who was living kind of a hard-charging life. His dad was, uh, was, very, was very wealthy and could afford him the kind of life that he wanted. And so he got the jet set around the globe and had access to, to Harleys and race cars, boats and planes, and uh, just was kind of living, living a great lifestyle. And he was a hard worker and helped his dad in his business, but was realizing that there's got to be something more to it. And he was taking some classes at a college, and he, he got connected to a professor named Dr. B. He was teaching a Bible or theology some courses. And Dr. B began to challenge him about living for something bigger than himself, about about giving his life up for something bigger. He began to teach about scripture and what the church looked like and how they were there and they would serve one another. And he began to say, I want to live out what this looks like. And he began to pull together some students. He got involved in in a youth ministry at a church. And pretty soon that youth ministry continued to grow as they were living out these principles. And Bill then would ask Asked Dr. B to come and speak to these students, this, this youth ministry that was, uh, that was growing. And Dr. B would come and, and he would teach them. And one of the things that he taught them early on that Bill shares about is this principle and this idea of the great gamble. What's the great gamble? The great gamble was to serve. You see, it's kind of a gamble. It's a risk that we take. What if I don't get anything back? What if I waste my time? What if it doesn't bring me what I want? What if Jesus isn't, this isn't true? It's a gamble. It's a risk. And he began to challenge the students to take the great gamble. He said, whenever you have the opportunity, put on the serving towel. Look around for opportunities to serve. Give someone the front seat. 
Don't call shotgun as you run up. Let them have the front seat. Give them the best seat. Give them the bigger piece of the pie. Hold the door open for somebody else. Stay late and clean up when everyone else is gone. Ask, how can I help? How can I serve? He says, do this for six months. Every opportunity you have, you put that servant towel on and you say, how can I help? He says, after six months, you ask yourself these questions. Am I feeling fulfilled? Am I feeling fulfilled? Am I gaining, excuse me, am I gaining or am I losing? Then he turned it around. He said, okay, if you don't want to do that challenge, then do it the other way. For six months, put yourself at the center. (laughs) Jump to the front of the line. Cut other people off. Take the best seat. Duck out early before the dirty work begins. You start seeing the parties kind of dying down. I'm out of here. Last thing I want to do is start cleaning up, right? We all know we've been there. We've done it. He says, start, you know, putting yourself at the center. As a matter of fact, why don't you just buy a whole bunch of serving towels and hand them out to everybody around you, okay? This is for me. It's got my name on it. See, you know, these are my initials. And uh, this is for you to serve me wherever I go. Give one to your wife. Give one to your husband, you know. Give one to your kids. Give one to your, you know, staff and your boss. Give one to everybody that you see around. And then he says this, after six months of putting yourself at the center, then ask yourself, are you becoming closer to God or people? Are you becoming more isolated? What do you think? What do you think would happen after six months? Is your life fuller or is it emptier? Do you feel fulfilled or gratified? I mean, I can't imagine spending weeks and weeks at the center and going, man, people just love me so much more. I have such great relationships. I have such a depth of of understanding. I feel so fulfilled. And yet we tend to fall into this trap of trying to do just that. Maybe we don't need to take a six-month challenge. Dr. B gave this challenge to Bill, and he gave it to his student ministry, and that student ministry called Sun Life began to grow to over 1,000 students because they began to put this into practice. Bill is, is Bill Hybels, that some of you may or may not know, who leads a tremendous church called Willow Creek Community Church, about 30 years going now. It's grown to over 20,000 people, and not just the church and size, but the influence, the impact nationally and internationally. This past summer, we took our board and our staff to a leadership training uh, conference, broadcast throughout the country, throughout the world, training over 100,000 leaders. It's because a group of people took a towel, draped it over their arm and said, if I have an opportunity to serve, I'm gonna serve. And when we do that, the path of blessing flows and lives begin to change, and an impact begins to happen. So you wonder, how do I connect my piece, my tile to the mosaic? How does that allow me, how does serving allow me to be part of a bigger story? Think about it. Every time you serve, it connects your story with the person you're serving. Every time we serve, it connects our story to a bigger story. And every time somebody serves us, it connects them to our story, doesn't it? A year ago, this week was moving day for our family when we moved right around the corner here. And I remember what it was like when we pulled up and we saw that there were just dozens of people helping us unload our moving truck. A bunch of the men from the morning Bible study on Saturday and some of our staff, I remember some of the neighbors asking, uh, thought that was a fraternity house because they saw all the men moving stuff in. And I said, no, those are just the men from our church helping us move in. But it's connected you with our story. It's a part of our story. It's what we remember. When we are served, We remember that, don't we? 
When we serve others, it connects us to them. It's the glue that makes us part of the kingdom story. It connects us to the vision of what God has to bring those glimpses of the kingdom. When we get down, we put a serving towel on and we give. You know, Mother Teresa, who in many ways, you know, has become a a figure, a symbol of great serving. But if the reality of what you saw and what she did, it was just being in in a small village in India doing thankless work, and yet she's been exalted in amazing ways because of her serving. She said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do great small things with great love. You know, we talk about one of our core values here is to love others with no strings attached. We can say that in another way too, serve others with no strings attached. Put the serving towel on and serve. You know when it begins? The second we leave here, you can start serving. It's crazy that after church, sometimes, you know, church service is over, and we're all vying for the first spot. I want to get my kids first. (laughs) I got to get out of the parking lot. Those Catholics, I better pull out before they do on 124th Street. (laughs) You think I don't know. We take license, me and the priest, you know, we're like swapping license plate numbers. (laughs) It begins at the restaurant. It begins with the people around you opening doors, putting others first. Will you accept the challenge? How about for just one week? Put those around you first. When you come home, you ask your spouse, how can I help? When you see your kids, how can you serve your employees, your bosses? Or again, take the challenge the other week. Just be as selfish as you can this week. I want to hear those stories. Tell me. For one week, just just put yourself fully at the center and then tell me how that went for you this week. Let's put the serving towel on. Let's link our story to a bigger story, to those with others. Let's be the kind of church that walks out of here, all of us, towel in hand, and making a difference in this world and with each other. And the beauty of it is when we serve others and they serve back, that's the picture of the church. We benefit from those that are also serving us in a way that is just a beautiful picture of serving one another in the name of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Forgive us when we vie for the center of attention, when we aim to be the focal point, when we build our own kingdoms. God, it's so utterly unfulfilling, and yet we fall into that trap. God, remind us of the beauty of taking a knee and picking up a towel and washing feet. Lord, help us to be servants in our home. In a marriage that's struggling, God, let's just serve. As we maybe struggle with children and what they're doing, let's just serve. If we're having difficulty at work, let's just serve. Let's not try to win arguments and try to convince others. Let's just win them through simple serving. God, we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. There's such joy and blessings that flow when we give ourselves to